I mean, I went to the whatever winter expo, which apparently an expo means all the camera brands or reps from all the camera brands there. And I think my biggest takeaway was there was a lot of people at the Canon table. That sounds right. And they had like some cinema lenses and someone was trying to explain why the Canon R5 with its new processor takes more pictures than the Canon R6, even though they have this, don't they have the same processor? I don't know. I don't anyway, know. he was talking to some dude about the cam- uh, the Canon R5 or maybe it was the R6 Mark II. And I was like, hmm, this guy doesn't know, the guy's holding the camera doesn't seem like he knows anything about cameras. And then the Canon guy's talking to him like he doesn't know anything about cameras. I guess that's fine. Anyway, and then, so like, Canon booth, it just seemed real, just right up the middle. And then the Sony booth, the guys were like, what if you bought two A1s, huh? And I was like, I, I'm like walking by. I did, I, why, <laughs> why? Like, all of a sudden, you're talking to me, trying to get me to buy your most expensive $6,500 camera. And he was very, like, like camera bro-esque. What is a camera bro? I don't, tell me, tell me like, more. Like, imagine if he was wearing, like, khaki shorts and a polo. And he had like three models behind him. And he's like, you want to take pictures of these models? And I'm like, <laughs> no, not really. He's like, you could do it with a Sony camera. And then like he turns around, and like gets on one knee and he's like taking pictures <laughs> and like posing for me, taking pictures of these women that are behind him. And I'm like, I don't, this just doesn't seem like my kind of jam. <laughs> um, I just don't want you to see you like stretching your khakis like that. And plus these people that you're taking pictures of are really close to you. They're like, three feet away. Are you shooting this on like a 24 millimeter lens? Those those pictures are going to look nuts. Anyway, uh, it just, I don't know. I felt like they were trying to recruit me into their Sony fraternity. It's, it's interesting to think about who those events are for and like, like who is their target market in that? Like, like is somebody really going to walk up and just buy a Sony A1? I don't know. Like maybe people like, maybe the people just want to know more information about it. And like, these people are supposed to know everything. So like, Maybe it's a better way to get more information. I don't know. I was I'm standing there, I'm like looking at the stuff, and they had an FX3. I was like, I've never held one of these things, and so I'm like I'm picking up and I'm looking at it. It's like the first time I've had one of these things in my hand, which thicker than I thought it would be. Hmm. Surprisingly, I guess it does have a cooling fan and stuff. Maybe it does why. have the fan and all that. Like it's not it's not huge. I think it is the body itself, like not counting the grip, is thicker than the XH2S. Oh, okay. And the R um, EOS R. Maybe maybe it's about as thick as the S1H, the Panasonic S1H. I mean, that's yeah, that's definitely bigger than I would have expected. Yeah, so I'm like messing with it, and the guy behind the counter is like, "Oh yes, the FX3 just came out, pretty good camera. It seems like on the internet, like a lot of good, a lot of good video stuff. Just just came out. Yeah, it does good, does good video features. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I, yep, sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I, I. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it shoots video well. Doesn't have a shutter. <laughs> it crops in like every mode. I'd be like, what do you want from me? You just don't know how to talk to camera reps. Yep. I don't know. He's like, it has the same body as the FX3, which was like right behind it. And I was like, yeah, look at all these cool buttons. <laughs> anyway. It, so what, would you say you're bad at making camera small talk? I, I, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think uh, maybe. I guess so. I just, like, I feel like, and I mean, this is the half reason that we're doing this podcast, right? Is like, I I just want to talk, like, really nerdy specs and that sort of thing. And whenever I'm talking to, you like, camera reps at, like, at this sort of event, I want to be, oh, yeah, how about that, uh, you know, 400 megabit per second codec? This is the all-intro pretty good on this camera. And they're just like, I don't know, I've never, I've never pulled the footage up on a computer and tried to grade it. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. We, we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's what I was getting at. I feel like they events like this seem more like they appeal to like a more casual person, but it's almost more like they just don't appeal to people like us. Because I feel like we both know photographers that know very little about the gear, but they're really good at it, and they just care about the art behind it and stuff like that. And, yeah, and like, that's that's what that's the type of person I feel would benefit from an event like this, where they're like. I haven't done all this research. I don't know everything about these cameras, but like, I just want to like try them out. Yeah. They'd be able to want to walk, walk in and say, Hey, I've had my current camera for five years. This is the kind of stuff that I take pictures of. 
is do you have any of the new like what are the new cameras doing that I need to know about? And they're like, oh yeah, this one's actually a lot better for you know taking pictures of sports because the autofocus is better. And they're like, oh wow, give me two of them. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, give me two of those A ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did talk to the uh, the person at the Fuji Fuji counter. I talked to the person at the Sigma counter. Uh, I was looking at that sixteen millimeter one point four Sigma lens. That and we talked a little bit about that before. Yeah, and okay, so like we've talked about how I've I lost that lens and I'm looking to replace it, and the sixteen millimeter one point four Fuji lens, which is a six year old lens. Did I bought, you just say it's a sixty year old lens? No, it's a six year old lens. Okay. Seven, that, maybe six or better. seven, right? I bought it for six hundred and fifty dollars at used, you know, at this camera store, uh, whatever. I think it was a year ago, maybe mm-hmm. a little less than a year ago, somewhere around there. And now the used ones are seven hundred and fifty and eight hundred dollars, and it's like nine hundred new or a thousand new. And I just, I can't buy it used at that price. That's a lot of money. And then I'm talking to this the guy about the Sigma uh, six, the Sigma sixteen one four, and he's like, yeah, it's whatever three fifty three seventy five, and they were doing no tax today. And I'm like, I just. I can't, I don't I want, I want to buy like a first party lens. <laughs> I don't want to buy like, why a, would you want to buy a first party lens? All your lenses are third party. It's, that was an accident. It didn't happen on purpose. And I, I don't know, like the first party lenses are just, you know, the first party lenses. They, they, they're not really better. Yeah, in you some don't cases. tell me, man, I, I have more first party lenses than you do. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> not fair. <laughs> it happened to me by accident. Okay. Point is, I'm like, it's less than half the cost to buy the Sigma 16 brand new, which came out a few months ago, is just as sharp, just as rectilinear, uh, versus buying the, the freaking Fuji used. And I just and the main downside is the uh, is the close focus, right? I don't know. Like it's longer. It's physically longer. It doesn't have an aperture ring. It's a plastic construction versus a metal construction, which the Sigma lenses lighter, still feel lighter weight, good, lighter. I don't know. And yeah, like it. The focus, the close focus distance is maybe eight centimeters, mm-hmm. which is okay. But the 16 millimeter one four is, I mean, it's like three or four centimeters. Yeah. And it, it, the reproduction ratio is, is better. It's like mm-hmm. one, one to four versus whatever the, the Sigma is. Maybe it's the same. I don't know. I think yeah. it's like four and a half or five. It's like, you can almost use it like a, like a macro, you know, get some close, like flower pictures and then also some wide landscapes and you know, pictures of dogs that are right next to you or whatever. I don't know. I, re- I just, I was so impressed by that, the Fuji one that I want the Fuji one again, but it's just, it's so hard to justify whenever Sigma's like our lenses are just as sharp, if not sharper and less than half the cost. Yeah. I mean, three, 375 versus 800. Yeah. For, for a new lens for versus brand a new. used lens. That's, mm-hmm. That is a hard sell. Yeah. And then when I was talking to the Fuji lady, I had a chance to uh, kind of play with the X-T5 a little bit and that was mm-hmm. cool. Maybe we can talk about that when we talk about. Yeah, that. yeah, we should definitely talk about talk about that camera. It's a pretty cool camera. Yeah, and uh, that's I don't know. We just kind of talked a little bit about lenses, a little about cameras, and nice. Nothing, nothing too too major. She didn't have any like grand insights for me. It's mm, a so, shame. I I asked her if I should be thinking about the eighteen millimeter one point four linear weather resistant lens as a replacement to the sixteen millimeter. And she said, no, when we replace lenses, we replace lenses with the same focal length. Take, for instance, the 55 different 56 millimeter lenses that we have <laughs> and then proceeded to list out like the 56 1.2 and then the other 56 1.2, then the 56 1.2 APD and then the new 56 1.2. Yeah. I think I missed one. Yeah, you probably did. Probably oh, the 56 1.2. Yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I guess I'm still waiting. If they came out with a brand new 16 millimeter that had, you know, maybe the, if they did that, it would probably take away the focus clutch, which I guess I could take or leave it. They would probably add the linear focusing motor and it might have a snappier, snappier ring on it. Mm-hmm. And it probably would resolve to 40 over 40 megapixels for the new sensor. And I feel like that would be a really great, really great little lens. And I just, I don't know. I guess more people are shooting with, 30, 35 millimeter and 56 millimeter. So that's the ones that they're, they're doing first, but yeah, I don't know. Well, they came out with the 18 one four first and then they came out with the 33 and then they came out with the other ones. And so like with this changed linear motor and higher resolving and, and better, you know, refined Fuji lenses, 
if they came out the 18 first, it's like maybe they're going to do the 16 way later. I don't yeah. know. It may be on its way, but who knows how long you'll have to wait. <sighs> yeah. Like they didn't announce it. Uh, they announced like usually six months. Every time they're doing it, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to come out with a new version of this lens later. And they'll like pre-announce it by six months to a year or like right. put it on their roadmap you know, two years out and there's nothing like the, a, a new 16 on the roadmap right now. Yeah. So it's probably gonna be a while. Oh boy. So the expo was cool. I guess I didn't buy anything. It's surprising. Not even that white backpack. <laughs> it's a very white backpack. Like it's, I think it's cool that you can like go to, for, to peak design and buy all like their, their 30 liter travel bag. Well, that's, I guess it's not the 30 liter, but you can buy like their pouches and stuff all in that really clean looking white, but Oh boy, you take that out of the store and it's gonna look it's gonna look nasty. I mean, your yellow bag looks kind of kind of dirty sometimes. How dare you? Uh, you didn't deny it. And white seems like I don't know. Yeah, like, like you put that you put that in one airplane carry on thing and it's gonna be gross looking. Yeah, I mean, like the texture on those Peak Design bags is almost indescribable. Like. It's like feels like a waxy plasticky yeah. feeling, but like it's nylon and I guess it's nylon that's coated mm-hmm. with, with some sort of weather waterproof material. And so like that's the texture of these, you know, white bags. And so they do repel some, you know, moisture, dirt, like debris, it, it like feels like intrusion. Could, it feels like you could wipe it off with like a damp cloth. Right. Yeah. But I think that, you know, long term as the bag creases and wears out, it's going to it's going to get pretty pretty gross yeah and with that coating you'd want to be careful with how you cleaned it like i, I wouldn't want to use like a magic eraser on that it might pull yeah, off per, the coating uh yeah that's a really good point i guess and I, don't, I don't even know how you like recode it or if you can or if the coating degrades over time the bags yeah. do come with a lifetime warranty yeah but i don't know if like that's probably just normal wear and tear if that's the case yeah i don't know hmm. too too much for me I, I i was real tempted on getting getting the the tech pouch in that clean white color because i thought it looked really really fancy like it would look super good on a wooden table and like maybe you could take pictures of it mm. but at the end of the day i think it's less practical i think it would look way too much like a purse i mean maybe that's what i'm going for welcome back to the camera gear podcast i'm daniel and i'm lucas and we're back to talk more about the gear side of photo and video my first little pre-topic here I mean, eventually I want to talk about the X-T5, right? New, newly announced. It's coming. I held one today. It's this podcast and it's a Fuji camera. Yep. Yep. So the, the, the Fuji Camera Gear podcast, uh, which is a different podcast, not this one. Probably. Maybe. Anyways, I want to talk about the X-T5. But first, uh, let's, I mean, it's, this kind of rolls into it. Let's talk a little bit about thoughts on camera interface methods and, and buttons and then that's what so you of mean thing. like physical controls yeah physical controls okay. i'm kind of curious what you think what you like what you prefer to see on a camera how you typically use your cameras and like what kind of things you're looking for so like things that i'm, I'm curious about are like dedicated record buttons you know some cameras you're just going to use the shutter button on your xh2s you program from the dedicated record button you were programmed to something else and you were just using the shutter button. So like thoughts on that thoughts on, uh, you know, on the rear, you have a four way, four way D pad versus like a scrolling click wheel and or scrolling click wheel. That is a D pad. What do you think about that? Well, I guess let's start with the record button aspect. So I did reprogram it on the XH2S. I think I'll probably program it back to being the record button because I do think it's useful to have. And the reason I had done it originally was because I was feeling like I didn't have enough custom buttons and I wanted to do that. But I mean, that camera has like 10 custom buttons. It does, but it doesn't have as many as the GH5 had. Um, Isn't it a bit different by like one? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I but point being, I don't remember what I have that custom button set to. So oh. maybe I should have set it back to the record button. <laughs> I mean, I, I find myself not using that too often just because the, the shutter button's usually more ergonomic. Mm-hmm. I'm always in either photo or video mode, so it's it's not like I don't know what it's going to do when I press the button. But I will say that a lot of times the shutter button doesn't feel as substantial in the sense that if I'm not holding the camera and taking a picture or video, it's harder for me to tell if I've actually like started recording because of the two-stage, you know, you half press it to, to focus and all that. 
And I've definitely had some times where I thought I started recording and I hadn't actually started recording because I probably didn't press the shutter button hard. Oh, enough. and then you get off cycle and like you're recording every other time yes. versus every time. Yes, I hate oh. that. It happens to me a lot more with using like a monitor because on monitors, for some reason, I'm not seeing the record icon, you know, as clearly. And so monitors need to be a little better or maybe it's a matter of the cameras need to send that they're recording out to the monitor. Uh, like on the Ninja where it shows a red ring around the screen when you're recording. It'd be really cool if you could get that on the small HD or Absolutely, something. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's so that's a big problem. Um, and for that reason, I think the record button seems nice. But on a lot of cameras, the record button's just not as easy to get to, like especially if you have a cage on or something. It's right. harder to reach. Or it's like over, it's like back near the eyepiece mm-hmm. uh, versus instead of like right next to the shutter button. And like maybe that's better in some cases. Yep. On the EOS R, it was a really, really small button. It was much smaller right. than the than the shutter button, so it's harder to hit. Yeah, it is nice though. Like when you're recording, you just want to hit. You want to just start recording. You want to be able to do a quick cycle. You don't necessarily want to have to, you know, sink your finger into a shutter button. Mm-hmm. I've left the record button as the record button on my camera simply because I if I know that if I hit that button, it's going to start recording a video. And so if I'm shooting photos and I'm like, oh, I don't want to grab a quick video of this, I can just hit that button. Yeah. And like, it's not going to be, you know, of the, the class or quality of like, my I'm in a 180 shutter angle and I've set my exposure and all this stuff. It'll be more automatic, but it's still like either you're going to get the shot or you're not going to get the shot. And so yeah, yeah. I left it because it's quickly and easily available to mm-hmm. just start recording no matter what mode I'm in. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm coming around to that, to that approach. Yeah. So a nice to have, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what about, uh, I know that you, you typically prefer the custom modes of like a, like a PSAM dial and, and that sort of thing. And that's just a whole different, method of interface but on you know some cameras you even if you have psm like you still get you know back wheel front wheel maybe aperture ring uh what are you typically setting like your your wheels and everything to well i definitely like having wheels and it's frustrating to me when cameras don't have enough the ones i like most have three wheels so that i can set my three major camera parameters to wheels because i I just find that simpler iso shutter speed right right and I mean, I use the top two for aperture and shutter speed, which I think is how most cameras are set up. And a lot of times you don't really have a choice on which one's which. It's yeah. just whatever it is. Or you can like alternate between the two, but it's like exposure and, and yeah. you know, aperture or whatever. Yeah. Do you ever use one of the wheels for exposure? No, I never do. I, I keep wanting to shoot in like an aperture priority mode yeah. or whatever, which in those cases, like aperture shutter priority, like I mm-hmm. think having the exposure wheel makes a lot of sense. Sure. That's how you're deciding what you want to do. Right. But I, I just always shoot in manual. And I mean, I guess my exposure compensation at that point is whatever parameter I'm varying. So yeah. whether that's ISO or aperture. Yeah. And you're watching your photometer or whatever, and, and just making sure that like mm-hmm. you're in, you're in a reasonable range of where you want to be for that, that shot. Yeah. Yeah, so that's usually how I do it because it's hard for me to decide what exposure I want. I mean, I, obviously, I, I ideally want it to be at zero, but that's mm-hmm. just not possible sometimes. Yeah. I mean, when we were shooting outside uh, in F-Log 2, it was like everything's a little too bright and I'm just going to have to be okay with it being a little bit too bright. And on the other hand, if I'm indoors, sometimes I would like for it to be bright, but it's just too dark. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want the camera going to 10,000 ISO just sure. to get to zero. I'd rather just underexpose a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes like if you're trying to go for a certain look with a photo, you may you know, click it up two thirds to stop or something and overexpose a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, people will do that on film a lot. They'll push their stops, you know, up to or down to to yeah. you know, improve their shadow contrast or whatever. Yep. The Fuji cameras have that. Uh, at least the ones with dials like the XT series and they have that exposure compensation as, as a dedicated dial. Oh, a lot of Sony cameras have that too. I think they yeah. have a dial for that. And I never really thought too much about if I was shooting in any sort of uh, mode on like, cause I should you know, shoot a lot with the XT three where it has its dedi- the dedicated w- dials on it. And so there's not really like a shutter speed priority mode, but you can set your shutter speed to a number and then set everything else to auto or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'd often like put the ISO in auto and then use the EV uh, exposure compensation to uh, kind of set it up or down. But I used it so rarely that more often than not, the exposure was left on something that wasn't zero. And it was like kind of pushing my shots too dark or whatever. But it seems like enough people use exposure compensation as a means to shoot in some sort of auto. I mean, they must. It's still on cameras. Well, like sometimes you run into an issue where you can't you can't get off of it. It's like you can set your 
your front or back wheel to like aperture or shutter speed. And then the other one's always going to be exposure. And it's like, I don't, why, why do I have to use this? I don't want it. I don't need it. Yeah. I mean, mostly I just get frustrated when I can't set every control to whatever I want. Yeah. Like it just, it just doesn't make sense to me that that, that's limited. Mm -hmm. I know we're dancing around it, but you should be able to set the ISO to one of the wheels on the XH2S. Yeah. And it's stupid that you can't. Yeah. It's that's super frustrating. And there's two reasons to me that's frustrating. One is that if you're using Fuji native lenses, they have an aperture ring. Yeah. So you don't, that, that's your, that's your dial. And, Mm -hmm. and you could use one of the others for ISO. But the other reason it's frustrating is because the XH2S doesn't have a wheel on the back. So, I mean, GH5, EOS R, a lot of cam- uh, A7 III, a lot of cameras have that wheel where the D-pad is. Right. And that can be your third parameter. You can mm-hmm. set that to ISO. Or the fourth X- parameter for a lot of Canon stuff. Sure. But a lot of the, a bit, but the XH2S doesn't have that. Right. And so you have basically no ability to put ISO on a dial. It's so frustrating. And the other thing that I care a lot about is... I want it to be exactly the same whenever I use the camera. And so mm-hmm. I have one uh, OEM Fuji lens that has the aperture ring mm-hmm. and I don't use the aperture ring on it. I just leave it in auto because when I pick up the camera, I want it to work the same way every time. Like it confuses me if the aperture ring is set on something else because yeah, I, I, don't frustrating. Ex- I don't expect it and I try to use the dial and it doesn't work. And so I want it to be the same every time. And I want to have all three of those things on dials. Yeah, I've been I've been fighting that similar thing with the aperture ring because I, I went from all of my lenses being first party lenses through some very strange set of circumstances. And now none of my lenses are first party lenses. And I don't think any of them have an aperture ring. Yeah, no third party lens does. And it's well, I mean, like some of the Viltrox ones do. OK, but regardless, none of mine have aperture rings anymore. And it's just. That was the way that I was used to setting setting my aperture, and I've had to like change my life. And I like I'm using the XT3 still, but now I have to use the front wheel for aperture, and it's terrible. But at least it's consistent, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Back to that XH2S thing, real quick. There was uh, I saw a suggestion online of setting the up and down D-pad to be ISO up and ISO or set them both to ISO, so you could use up and down on the D-pad to change your ISO up and down. I'm already doing that for the autofocus. So I can't can't have both, I guess. Yeah. And setting two function buttons to one parameter just because it's not a wheel is kind of stupid. I don't know. I mean, I've gotten used to it. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me that much to hit it on the top and then adjust it with the D pad. It's a little annoying. (sighs) Yep. I do keep hoping they'll release a firmware update that lets you set it to one of the dials. You, me and everybody else. Yep. I also use the, uh, (laughs) the joystick a lot. So yeah. that's that's one of my most used things. Kind of disappointed with the one on the XH2S. Really? The EOS R and the GH5 both had really good. I guess the EOS R didn't have a joystick, which was a problem. But the GH5 has a really good joystick. And I just got used to using that to get through menus. And I found it a lot faster than the D-pad. Hmm. And the one on the XH2S just isn't as good. I guess I'm used to using the front and back wheels as pagination and item scrolling mm-hmm. on a Fuji camera. And so I didn't use that joystick as much as you did or you do yeah and i mean i don't i don't have the same problem well I now, think now it's I, totally fine now i use it to set uh autofocus yeah and it just doesn't work that well like I, I, so one of the things you want to be able to do is press the center button and on the xh2s i have a really hard time actually pressing it in mm-hmm. like i always end up pushing it to a side or up and down yeah that can be a problem and even though that's the case trying to do any direction i feel like it doesn't have a whole lot of travel to it and so it's just kind of not not very easy to use. I don't know. The the GH5 one is much better. Yeah, it's an interesting take. I guess I'm just used to Fuji joysticks, and so I yeah don't really have any opinion on them. But yeah, it's good. I, it's good. I feel like I care a lot about this stuff. Like it, the feel of the camera is very important mm-hmm. to me, and it just always feels like it could be so much better than it is. Like like I mean, how hard is it to pick a good type of button or, you know, a good, a good dial or whatever. And like that stuff really matters. I don't know. I've looked for custom buttons before and it's very hard to find a good button. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I feel like if you're designing a $2,500 camera, like take the time, figure it out. You know, have you used the touchscreen as the autofocus joystick? Because even when it's off, you can still use it. Like if you're on the eyepiece, you can touch the screen and use it. I, okay, I and you that. can set the uh, you can set the whole screen or half the screen or a quarter of the screen on the Fuji cameras to do that. I have used it with the eyepiece. I mm-hmm. haven't messed with it enough. 
I don't always like that setting because sometimes if I'm shooting low, if I'm not using the joystick, like I'll, as I'm walking around or something, I'll hit it to a mm-hmm. different, a different position and then um, auto focusing in like the bottom left corner without right. meaning to. And so sometimes that's annoying. I'm a predominantly a left eye shooter, which I know is probably a little unique. Who knows? Uh, but because of that, it's like I'm shooting across my face. And so I end up moving that thing with my nose all the time. Yeah. It's the first setting that I turn off on yeah. any Fuji camera is the stupid touchscreen control thing. Yeah. It's not stupid. Like, it's kind of cool, but I just, I can't do it. Yep. I'm like moving autofocus no, points I'm, continuously. I get it. Yep. I end up, I end up turn setting the autofocus point all the way to the left every single time I flip the screen open. Hmm. I'll like be between, you know, flipping it open and flipping it closed, like between shots or moving between locations or something. And I will always touch That's the edge of the screen when I flip it open and my autofocus point is as yeah. far left as it goes. And it's just, uh, I don't, I don't know how to, I guess I could turn off, touch the screen to focus, but I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to be able to touch the screen to set the focus point. Yeah. Do you uh back button autofocus? Yes. Yeah. I do that all the time. Um, cause I, especially on video, I like to leave the camera in manual. Fo- so for photos, I use autofocus, but for video, I always like to have manual focus cause I don't mm-hmm. want to just switching randomly, but yeah, I use back button autofocus a lot to get me in the ballpark at least. Have you ever, do you ever use the back button exposure to like exposure lock where you like, maybe like you set the exposure off of something, you hold the button and then you reframe? No. Um, because I shoot in manual. Oh yeah, that's right. So. Uh, every every time uh, everything i do is is exposure you're, locked you're not a not, not a filthy casual like the rest of us shooting in aperture priority and shutter speed priority yep yep i've never got the hang of shooting in program like i get it that it's it's just it's changing your aperture and your shutter speed at the same time but yeah i don't know i don't know i mean stuff like that to me kind of defeats the purpose of why i'm using that camera if i want to just pull something out and like quickly take a picture i'm going to use my phone sure and that's basically program mode or whatever but if I'm using the camera, I've, I have something specific in mind and I'd rather just pick it myself. And I've just done that for so long that it's it's a, it's faster for me to do that than it is to use one of the auto modes and try and outsmart the camera and think like, I've done this. So like, what is it picking? Am I happy with these other settings? So I'd rather just do it myself. What do you think about buttons on the front of a camera and switches on the front of a camera? I generally think it's fine. I, I, prefer, I prefer them to be on the back where I can see them. Right. That's the controversy about it, right? It's like, yeah. you, you can't, you don't want to like have to turn the camera around to see the things, which I always thought was a little weird that Fuji has that, uh, manual auto or manual continuous single switch on the front corner. Yeah. That's of a their weird cameras. spot. Weird spot. To but put that. it is, it is the coolest thing. Cause like when you're holding it, that's if your left hands on the lens, mm-hmm. then I mean, your, your index and your middle finger are really close to that switch. Yeah. And it's a three way switch. So it's like, it's all the way to the right, all the way to the left or in the middle. And because of, and not having like a fourth position that you have to feel for, it's really easy to switch between yeah. single and manual and continuous. And you don't even have to look. I mean, I, I'm fine with it. And they're usually in ergonomic positions, but I just forget about them when they're. Yeah. There. I like and, the ones that are uh, whenever you reach your hand around the grip and then there's a button right on the body. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. And on that note, having a switch for, for focus mode is really nice. And it's definitely something I miss on the XH2S. Uh, yeah. I strongly prefer the focus mode to be a switch versus a button. Mm-hmm. I hate having to press a button and then either like cycle the button or have to, you know, use a different interface key to flip between yep. something. Yep. But like at the same time, if you want to have you see one set to autofocus and see two set to manual, sure, you, you can't can. really do that with a hard switch or else it'll be out of state. Yeah. It's, which is probably part of why it's done that way. Right. It's the perpetual problem between, you know, software interface components and, and, uh, hardware switches yeah yeah so but speaking of hard switches and dials and all that xt5 now that 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 was a professional segue there oh you gotta be proud of that one (laughs) yep all right well i know you wanted to talk about it so tell me about the xt5 oh man this is this is my camera like this is but it's it's, not it's not i know it's not like my camera you don't have it and i'm never gonna buy one but i think that it is it is exactly what it should be and that Fuji totally delivered with this thing for the longest time. Now, geez, I want to, I'm like exaggerating. Right? For the longest time, the XT series is a blah, 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 blah. But like the, yeah, the answer is like for like two years or something. Yeah. Well, like they had like XT one, XT two great cameras. Everyone loves them. Everyone, everyone, uh, with no exceptions. 
And after the X-T2, they were like, okay, we're going to start pushing video. And so they rolled out a bunch of new video features to the X-T2 and like really improved its, you know, its functionality for video. And then they came out with the X-H1, which was the last camera on that X-Trans 3 sensor. Yeah, it was yeah. like the last of that generation. Right? Yeah, like the last of that specific sensor and the last of that specific processor. And it was the XT XH1 was compromised in so many ways. Like the, if you wanted a headphone jack, you had to use the battery grip. There were certain things where if you didn't have the battery grip on, it delimited certain modes because it didn't have enough power yeah. with that battery design. Mm-hmm. And the processor was too hungry. And it just, it was compromised in so many ways. But like the XH1 was supposed to be this flagship camera. And it just, the six months later, they came out with the X-T3, and the X-T3 was better for video in every way. Except for IBIS. Except for, it didn't have IBIS, but beyond, and it didn't have a flippy screen. Mm-hmm. But beyond those two things, which are, you know, I guess, big video features, it it had better codecs. It shot 10-bit, it yeah. shot 420 internal, 422 external, and all this stuff. And the X-T3 was such a better camera that the X-H1 immediately became discounted. And there was a period, there was a short period of time where you could buy an X-H1 with, I think it was like the 8 to 16 or uh, one of, it was a certain lens. And it was like the cost of it total, you were basically getting the X-H1 for like 200 bucks. And yeah, so it's, they they really cleared house on those cameras. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, you can buy them used for like 900 or 800 now. They didn't really drop that hard in price, but point is, X-T3, great. And so whenever they came out with X-T4, it was like, this is now our flagship camera basically and so they had they they shoehorned all these video features into the xt4 they added the video still mode button and they made it bigger they made it heavier they added the flippy screen it was like the xt4 is a is a fantastic camera i think it's really really cool and it's like right up my alley but it was merging these two lines and it was like the things that people loved about the xt1 xt2 and like the photo features and like not having to think about all the auto modes and being able to just like set their set their dials and quote unquote do photography. Uh, like it was it was for those people. And so the XT4 just had deviated so far from that that now, now that they have like here is our flagship video line with the XH2S and our flagship stills camera, the XH2, the the XT line is free to be what it always has been, which is it's not a rangefinder style, but it's a smaller travel size camera, street photography size camera with retro styling and the mode dials and it's built for photography, not for videography. And it can just like be what it's always meant to be. And so like XT5 is really compelling in, in that regard. It does seem like for a while they're trying to get the XT4 to be everything. Right. And now that they have the XH2 and the XH2S that can be kind of that premium everything camera, mm-hmm. the XT5 is more free to be just like a photo enthusiast camera, which is yep. kind of cool. Yeah. And so it still has has the four, same 40 megapixel sensor as the XH2. Fantastic. You know, brand new sensor. It has IBIS and they've improved their IBIS um, module to be smaller and so the X-T5 itself is almost the size of an X-T1. I didn't realize how much bigger the X-T4 had gotten compared to those previous cameras. And I have an X-T3 and I, I really like the size and it's 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 nice. The X-T5 feels smaller. Really? Yeah. And it's okay. it's it's really light, feels smaller than the X-T3. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's a really nice, really nice camera. The grip is a little bigger. Uh, the way that you hold an X-T camera versus... Um, like, like you have your range style cameras where the, uh, the shutter buttons on top and whenever the shutter buttons buttons on top, your fingers aren't pointing back towards the camera. They're more pointing down. And so you're kind of holding the grip with the side of your fingers versus like the front whenever you have like a forward facing shutter button. Mm -hmm. And so you can't really like an XT camera with a, with the shutter button on top is never going to have a super deep grip because it would it would kind of be contrary to like the, the contours of your hand. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be very ergonomic. Mm-hmm. And so what they did, they, they made the grip thicker, but it's kind of like thicker on the, the higher end. Whereas like, if you imagine holding your finger, you know, your, your pointer finger up on a shutter button, your, your other three fingers pointing down, there's more of a gap in front of your ring finger than like your, your pinky finger. And so 
they made that part a little thicker to give you something a little better to hold on to. I see. And it, it really, really contours well mm-hmm. to your hand. So yeah. I was pretty impressed with, with the new grip and they're, they made it so they can, you can fit the new X-T4, X-H2S, X-H2 battery. Oh, is it the same battery as the X-H2S? Yeah, it's the exact same battery. It's not, mm. it's not those old um, 126Ss. Yeah. And okay. so you get, you know, your 500 plus shots mm-hmm. and it's just, it's, it's turned sideways instead of, you know, Right. long ways and yeah it's like bigger battery smaller camera it has the tilt screen instead of the flippy screen and like it's just kind of been refined all the way around mm-hmm. uh from from the previous you know versions of it you know all the previous four before it into a pretty pretty compelling photo yeah. camera yeah it sounds like it as uh, so he said tilt screen not not flip screen that is right. interesting but, yeah but i think it's a good photo feature yeah i think like if you're if you're shooting pictures with it it's it's gonna be better and like the it has as many of the features that you get from the xh2 as they could put in it but they clearly were moving in a way that was you know we're focusing on on the photo side and we're not going to you know shoehorn extra things into it so for instance it has two card slots but they're both sd Mm, it doesn't have cf express and you know you're shooting 40 megapixel stills but if you're not, you know, needing to record into ProRes or any like really uh, intense video specs, then you know the only thing that you're potentially losing with uh, going to SD or SD UHS two type cards is is, is shooting speed yeah. with burst. But I think it still it still does a pretty respectable burst. I mean, it's over 20 frames per second mechanical, I not think, mechanical electrical. I think I prefer having the the two SD cards on a photo focused camera. I mean, I had never used CF Express cards before the XH2S, and honestly, if Fuji hadn't done that deal to to give a free, uh, was it a 400 gig card? 320. Yeah, 320 gig card with the uh, with the XH2S, I probably still would not have used one. But now that I've used it, I like them a lot. It's it's really cool that I just every time I use my camera, I have that much storage space, and transferring clips to the computer is incredibly fast on the CF Express card. Oh, yeah. And then plus it enables features like ProRes recording. So I think they're great on a video camera, but on a photo camera, I'd rather have the SD card where I know I can read it in any computer. It's a cheaper card. Like I still generally prefer SD. Yeah, I've I've come around on CF Express. It's Whenever the Nikon came out, it was like, you know, one of the first cameras with CF Express as the only card. I thought it was a little annoying because it's like, why do you need this whole different card type? A lot of stuff supports SD. The cards are crazy expensive. I mean, they're still super expensive. Mm-hmm. But I double checked it. It's 15 frames per second uh, mechanical for the for the X-T5. So, you know, it's not crazy high. But like if you want, if you need speed, then you get the XH2S. Yeah. Like that's what that's built for. Yep. So like you lose out on that with not having CF Express and like you don't get the ProRes, you don't get the 8K and that sort of thing. But like that's not what this one's about. So I think that, yeah, you know, SD cards is the right compromise. But a lot of people who are shooting photos just have tons of SD cards lying around. Yeah. And- well, and you know, if you buy a, a current MacBook Pro, it has an SD card reader built in. Yep. A lot of laptops do. Yep. A lot of people have a card reader for their phone or whatever. So, I mean, I still think SD is the standard and it sure. makes more sense. Yeah, I think that was totally the right call. Leave CF Express for the quote unquote pro level cameras mm-hmm. and, you know, let this one let this one be what it is, which is, you know, more street photography focused, more you know, travel focused and not not uh, this you know, speed demon camera or video camera. Right. That was pretty interesting. I mean, you know, I, as somebody who more recently got into Fuji, I mean, I think it's a compelling camera. You know, I've, I've talked about wanting to get a second camera for travel or something, and it's hard to tell. Like, I don't know what the right call is there because the idea of having something really, really compact is compelling, like having an XE4 or an X100V or, you know, something that's super, super compact. Yeah, Sony RX100, you know, something yeah. like that. But on the other hand, if you want something that's photo focused, the second camera, I mean, this is a really, seems like a really compelling camera. You get the 40 megapixel. I talked earlier about how I like shooting in manual and the the Fuji style controls where you have everything on a dial, like fits with that pretty well. And if I had a spare $1,800, I mean, I'd, I'd consider it. And the thing with, with Fuji and like the reason that a lot of people still shoot Fuji, even 
Canon, Nikon, Sony shooters, like they're, oh yeah, I love like, they're into photography and they're, oh, well, I'm going to do my pres- professional gig with my, you know, Canon R3 or whatever. But at the end of the day, when they're just doing photos for themselves, most people still kind of prefer to shoot on Fuji and it's because of, it's because of something like the XT where it's like you have, you, you have your ISO and your shutter speed and your aperture just right there. You're not having to like dig into menus. You're not having to like look at the screen. You can just, you know, interact with the camera, take your pictures. It's just, it's, it's so much more tactile mm-hmm. and the JPEGs are so good that you can set your film simulations. You can make up your film, some film recipes or whatever, and you can shoot in JPEG, not have to worry about having to go and edit all these pictures later. And you can just go out and take pictures and just in, enjoy the act of doing that and like going places and seeing things and, and whatever. And I mean, the X-T5 is just kind of really embodies, you know, that use of a camera. Yeah. Yeah. You get that tactile feeling like it's photo focused with things like the tilt screen. And yeah, yeah I'm, I, I totally get it. I can see who it's for. Definitely. It's, uh, it is coming in at 1800 bucks. So it's their high end of this style camera, mm-hmm. which still feels, feels about right. If you need a second camera, uh, say like you have an XH2S or something and you need like a B cam, it's nice that it can shoot 6k, 6.2k. It can shoot 4k. It has a lot of those modes. It doesn't have, it, like it has an HDMI port and it can do, you know, out to a ninja or whatever and, and still support, you know, those, you know, 422, whatever codecs and stuff. It's a small HDMI port, not a full size. And so like it is, it's compromised in all these ways of like, if you needed a video camera, it would be, you'd be like, man, I wish it had this and I wish it had this compared to my other one. But yeah. if it's like, I have my little photo camera and then I have like an X-H2S, they would complement each other really well. Cause like you're going to use the X-T5 for your travel and your, a lot of your photography stuff. But if you need a B cam, it's going to match the colors and it's going to be able to do all the things you need it to do in a pinch. Yep. All of these cameras now are true hybrid cameras where right. the X-H2S takes great photos. You can do video on the X-T5, but both of those cameras feel like they have a certain slant to them. Yeah, you know, definitely. And, and if if I only shot photos, I probably wouldn't have gotten the X-H2S. Yeah, for sure. Well, for one, it's I mean, it's it's seven hundred dollars more than this camera. Like, there's no and there's no reason to. You'd mm-hmm. get a higher resolution, and you'd get something that's arguably more enjoyable to take pictures on. So, so what, what do you think? Would you ever get one? An XT5, I would consider upgrading from my XT3 to an XT5 down the line. I prefer this style of camera for taking pictures. Mm-hmm. I like how much smaller it is. Last time we traveled, I took my XT3 instead of my XH2S. Because it's smaller, I can I could take the lens off and I could fit it in my Peak Design Tech pouch, and yeah. that was really cool to be able to do that and not have to bring a whole another you know camera cube or and pack it into my bag. Mm-hmm. And so I just I really like the size and it it makes it easier to take it around and easier to just have it to take pictures. So having that style camera in my repertoire, <laughs> you spell that uh, starts with an R, ends okay. with a repertoire. <laughs> is it's 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 important to me for what I like to shoot. So, you know, as the as the XT3 ages out, I would potentially be looking at something like an XT5 to to upgrade it to. But like you, I've thought about what if I had a, an even smaller travel camera. I uh, I wish that there was more options for like a full frame fixed lens camera. Mm-hmm. I think that that would fit really well into into my life. Something that I can easily put into like a a fanny pack. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, I was even going to go farther and say that to me, the ideal travel camera would be something that I could fit in a pocket. Yeah, exactly. But for me, like a, tr- a travel camera, I would want it to be different enough from the other stuff that I have. Cause like the X-T3, the X-T5, they're still relatively small cameras. Yeah. And like, that's the, that's the appeal of APS-C. That's, that's what, mm-hmm. why Fuji was like, if you're going to go mirrorless, like let's take biggest advantage of it and have smaller lenses. Like the, like we were talking about earlier, the 1614 Fuji lens is smaller than the 1614 Sigma lens. Cause that's a priority for Fuji is small yeah. compact light. You can have three lenses and a camera in what would normally take up an EOS R and a 70 to two, uh, whatever, 24 to 70. Yeah. So like the X-T5 stuff is small, but for me, if I was looking for something that was even more travel focused, I would want it to be, 
smaller. Yeah, it, it's hard to decide what you want. On one hand, I think that a camera like this would be great for travel. It's a camera like the X-T5 because if you want to get really good shots or if you're going somewhere where you want to take a telephoto lens or whatever, you're not going to get that in a fixed lens camera. You're not going to get something that takes good photos at 200 millimeters. And so having a interchangeable lens option like makes a lot of sense. Um, but if you want something great. that's like s- even more portable, mm-hmm. fixed lens will be smaller because you don't yeah. have to have the, the mechanisms to support. Yeah. It. And so it's like, what is your goal when you're traveling? Like, are you going on a trip where you're where you want photo taking to be an active part of your trip? Or is it more like I'm going somewhere and I want to be able to get good memories while I'm there? But that's not my focus. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for the latter, uh, the ideal, the ideal option to me is a like a Q2. Uh-huh. Except for the price aspect. <laughs> Except that it's like $6,000. Well, and that's part of what I think about with something like a travel camera is that part of why I don't I don't really take my XH2S for travel stuff because it's an expensive camera. And I think, do I really want to carry around a $3,000 or $3,500 kit with me everywhere I go? And I also use that camera for things that I take seriously. And like, if I break it, then I'm going to be in trouble because I won't be able to do my normal projects when I get back. And so those are the reasons I don't want to do that. And if I think about using like something like a travel camera, do I want to be walking around anywhere with a $6,000 camera in my pocket? I mean, I'm I'm not at that point financially to where that would feel comfortable. Ridiculous. Like at that point, I take the X-H2S because the easy, it's the cheaper camera to replace. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, an X-T30, which I really looking forward to them upgrading the xt30 i want to see that that camera an xt i guess it would be 40 which would be kind of weird because yeah. we're on five now for the other one well but. maybe they'd skip it maybe it'd be the xt50 but yeah. either something like that or something like an xe4 they made an xe5 mm-hmm. you know it's something do, in that size i do wonder if they would you know this possible future xt40 like, would they put the 40 megapixel sensor in there? Man, it, it, you know, Fuji does that. They they seem to use the same sensor mm-hmm. in a lot of their cameras, but... I could see them doing it. I could see imagine. it have the same processor as X-T5 and the same sensor, but it would have one SD card slot. Yeah. And maybe it would be trimmed down a little more in feature. Maybe it wouldn't have IBIS, maybe it'd be a little smaller. That would be that would be pretty appealing, especially it if it was like $1,000 yeah. or 800 bucks. Yeah, that would, that would compete pretty strongly with sony i think yeah you know, which, it's like then do you sony get an a6400 or do you get this 50, 40 megapixel xt50 well i mean like sony hasn't released any new you know aps-c continuation whatever aps-c cameras for three years yeah so like yeah, yeah it would it would pretty much dominate that side of the market i would think especially mm-hmm. if it undercut the r10 and had more or r7 i guess because the r7 is the one with 30 megapixels so if they could undercut the r7 with more megapixels and more features and more portability, mm-hmm. that would be pretty appealing. It kind of remains to be seen whether that's possible, though, because right now the only two cameras they have with the 40 megapixel sensor are seven or $1,800 and $2,000. So maybe it's just an expensive part right now. Yeah, but I mean, they put the 26.2 sensor in everything. Yeah, they, they put do. it in like seven different cameras. And so it maybe they get enough benefit from not having to manufacture multiple sensor types. Maybe. Uh, that they can afford to do that. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great. Because I'd love to have 40 megapixels for photos, but $1,800 is a lot of money and, yeah. and it'd be hard to... So like one of the appeals of the full frame Leica Q2 is it's a, this is Leica Sumix 35 millimeter fantastic lens, but it's a, it's like a 40 megapixel, 30 megapixel, whatever. It's a high megapixel camera. Maybe it's 50, but you can shoot it in, in a crop mode. Where like obviously you could do it in post, but what you're shooting with that camera, you're just going to, you're wanting to get the picture there you're gonna crop in or whatever and so you can use it like a 35 millimeter or a 50 i think yeah because you can just crop in yeah and it'll it'll just crop in on the sensor and so it would be pretty cool if uji eventually replaced the x100v with another fixed lens with this 40 megapixel sensor because then maybe they could do the same thing and then you could have the small portable 20 if it was 24 24 megapixels 23 geez not megapixels if it was uh, 23, 24 millimeter lens. And then it, you could then crop into 35 millimeter. And this is APS-C. Yeah. So that's like 35 and 50. That would be pretty appealing. Yeah, yeah it would. It, it annoys me a little bit that I feel like I would like the, the Leica camera, but I, just, that's, oh. I don't have the money for that. Yeah, it's that, that's totally my jam. I'm just, I think that the market for fixed lens cameras just isn't there because there's nothing well, that so really- So many can... people use their phone. Right. Everyone's going to use their phone, but like there, it feels like, it's the kind of thing that I want, but there's no market for it. There's the X100V, there's the Leica Q2, and then there's the RXR, RX1R, 
Yeah. Uh, but the RX-1R is five years old. X100V is three or four years old. Mm-hmm. The Q2 is the newest one, but they're all like crazy expensive. I mean, the yeah. cheapest one is X100V at over $1,000. I guess they're that expensive because they're probably a low volume seller. Yeah, so they definitely. Don't, they don't produce as many of them. But oh, It's definitely something that I, I could see myself wanting and having, but... At the same time, it's like I don't need an XH2S and an XT3 or an XT5 and an X100V. That would be it would be absurd. Yeah, I, I would, know. Yeah. yeah, but it's but it's hard because whenever you look at the stuff and whenever you care a lot about it, you can see where there's a a, a niche for each different type of camera, uh-huh. and you yep. can imagine like this is the case where I'd want that one. I mean, it's like this in any hobby, right? Like there's sure. always like. You know, with cars, it's like this car is slightly different than this other car. And so in this well, one yeah. situation, it's better for that. And it's it it's really hard to compromise. That's why you can justify having a Jeep, a truck and a, and a sports car. Yeah. Yeah. And an SUV. And now you have like five cars. Yep. Yeah. So it's yeah. I And I, for me, like having a small travel camera, I would want it to be full frame. Like I know that I shoot APS-C and I'm perfectly happy with crop sensor. I don't. Right now, I don't feel like I need the extra like ISO noise performance mm-hmm. and light gathering of full frame. But then why would you want that on a travel camera? I would want it to be different. I would want it mm-hmm. to be something that's not just another APS-C, not another Fuji, because I already have these two other Fujis, right? Yeah. It's, and But then like full frame uh, travel camera, fixed lens cameras just... They don't exist. There's like two or three of them, and they're all really expensive. I, it's, it's just interesting that you say that, because I feel like most people would want their... What you would imagine a full frame camera being bigger, bigger lenses and et cetera. And you'd imagine that being like your your serious tool and then having the little APS-C camera for travel. Yeah, I know. I guess it is kind of backwards, but like, why not just use my phone? Like, it's got to be that much better than my phone. Yeah. And sure, my big camera or whatever, my X-H2S takes significantly better pictures mm-hmm. than my iPhone. Honestly, for me with travel, the problem I run into is low light. My, mm-hmm. my phone takes very good pictures in low light. It could, because it does all the yeah, like the it takes good pictures in low light stuff. if nothing's moving and if you don't zoom in. Well, on sure, them. yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, if I'm if I'm just taking casual pictures of doing stuff with friends, that's fine. Like I, I can accept those things, and it's basically impossible to do that with, uh, you know, with like a, a serious camera. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm like the con the conflicting contrary opinion on on that. I get that like the computational photography and the multiple exposures and the bracketing and all that stuff that happens automatically in a phone take really really good low light pictures, but I would still prefer like a full frame sensor with like a 1.8 aperture lens shooting at like ISO whatever 12,800 mm-hmm. and just have this grainy but more accurate true to the moment picture that isn't you know, smudged out skin tones yeah. and a composited picture and blurry image over here or whatever. Yeah. But like the picture, the picture that you can get is the picture that you want. And having a 1.8 full frame lens on a full frame camera is just like not going to happen in situations where, you know, yeah. you need a low light camera. And so, even, and even something like the, like a Q2, it's like, it's great if that does what you want, but you're comparing a $6,000 camera against a phone that you already have. Oh and yeah, so for sure. It's like, how, like that is a hard sell. And then like you have to have this other thing with you and it's mm. just a whole thing. So yeah. 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 And I kind of come back to that. I think about the trips that go on where photography is not the focus. Mm-hmm. And what is the threshold where I'm actually going to take this with me? You know, if I have to take a, a separate fanny pack style bag, am I really going to do that? You know, like, am I really going to have it with me or not? Does it need to fit in my pocket? And so Yeah. I don't know, a range style, small camera that's like that, you know, a wrist strap and a, and a pancake lens is just, it's, it takes so much better pictures than your phone. Yeah. And it's really portable. Like you can just kind of have it, you can throw it in your bag or whatever. And like, it's, it's a nice to have, but you're right. I mean, I'm talking like an XE4 with a 27, whatever, 2.8, that's going to cost you whatever, $1,600. Uh, I don't know if it's that much, but like it's, it's. Yeah, you know, easily fourteen hundred. Yeah, and yeah, it's even if by used, you know, you're still over a thousand for sure. And right, it's, it's a lot of money. Yep, and it's I don't know. I keep talking about all the Fuji stuff, and but like that's like that's their market, right? It's like these small, mm-hmm. you know, cameras that you can bring with you, and they're easy to travel. I mean, it, it's and, not better anywhere else, you know. Sony, if you want a good Sony uh, camera, you know, a sixty four hundred, a sixty six hundred, you know, that kind of thing. Like those are those are up there too. Yeah, and all the, all the Canon options are huge. I mean, even if you're looking for their cheaper cameras, like you buy an R10, it's still as big as an X-H2S. Yeah, I mean, Canon has their, like the M50 and stuff, but yeah, I wouldn't, I would not buy those cameras. I mean, mm-hmm. like they, 
the the nice thing about Fuji and Sony is that it feels like they care as much about their APS-C line as they do their like for Fuji their APS-C line is their like flagship stuff and for Sony like at least the lenses are compatible and it has always felt like they cared about that market whereas with Canon with APS-C it just feels like this like afterthought that's just designed it's like a to price capture. point they're trying to hit. yeah yeah but it's just it doesn't give me a good feeling one thing I've I've liked a lot about the Sony stuff is just how small they're able to get those full frame sensors mm-hmm. into into a camera and uh, an a7 III body is about as big as an xt3 the xt5 now you know being smaller and you know kind of moving back to those roots it is going to be finally smaller than maybe like a sony camera yeah uh, i think it's bigger than an a6400 those are delightfully compact mm-hmm. but like the a7c it's a full frame camera but it's just so small yeah and like that's that's a really nice thing to have especially mm-hmm. if you're trying to you know moving around a lot and mm-hmm. taking pictures and going mm-hmm. places but then you have to get full frame lenses and that's where it all falls apart yeah yeah both in price and size yep so i think that i think the xt5 is is coming at a really great place in fuji's market 800 bucks is a great price if you just need a photo camera and you're looking for you know the best fuji photo camera I mean, you're looking at this, you're looking at an X-H2 and you basically are picking between PSAM or dials and you have the option. And I just, it finally feels like they have a complete line. Whereas before the X-T4 was the one camera for, for everybody and a lot of people complained uh, on the photo side about like, you know, we'll get these video features out of here. And people complained on the video side that they didn't have all these custom modes. And well, now, now you have choices. Yeah. And it just, it's like Fuji came rolling into this year, 10 year anniversary of, uh, of X-Mount. And they really, really filled out a complete lineup. I think that's one of the things that I am most impressed with when I look at their at their camera lineup is that you get to pick what exactly what you want, and it doesn't feel like you have to compromise. Yeah, definitely. It's nice to see. One thing is you you may have to compromise on the XT5 is the color. So it does come in black and it does come with the retro where you can get the top and the bottom in silver with the black, you know, leather, not leather, but you know, rubbery leather uh, around. Anyways, the XT4. And I think the X-T3 came in two different shades of metal. You could get like a dark and a silver. And this one you can only get, you Mm. can only get the silver. So even still having two color choices is more than, more than most cameras. True. True. A lot of things. It's just the one. I really like the retro styling. I feel like you have to get it with, with the silver on top, but I think they probably sell plenty of the black ones. And the one that I held today was, was black. Yeah. I, I have a hard time picking. I, I do think the silver looks cool, but a lot of times with the camera, my focus is on it being unobtrusive. You know, if I'm taking photos in a, at an event or if I'm traveling and I don't want to draw attention to my camera, then... Is that why you put black gaff tape over over the name on I mean, the front so that it's just blacked all the way through? Yeah, that's clearly the right move. Yep. But, but that's the one downside of the retro styling, I guess. That's not as effective whenever you do it on a silver camera. No, no, it's not. I don't know who would do that. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Whatever. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I guess that's basically it. You got any, you got any thoughts or questions on the X-T5? Anything Not really. I, like I said, I'm, I'm interested in it. I think it'd be a cool camera uh, to own and I think it would fit in well with what I have. But, you know, I, I don't like what we were saying with the travel camera thing. I just, it might be a little bit too expensive for what I want, but I think it's, I think it's really cool to see and I think it's well-priced for what it is yep. and I'm glad it exists. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Maybe a few more, few more thoughts on it. I guess it, uh, they didn't add any new film simulations. They didn't add any new film simulations for this year. Like it seemed like whenever they, they came out with the X one hundred V, they were like, "Here's two new, not one hundred V." Geez, the uh, X Pro three, they're like, "Hey, here's classic neg and whatever." And then the XT four came out and like, "Here's another new film simulation." And I'm probably have those two backwards, and they never backported those to the XT three, which was really frustrating because up through the X eight. XT3, they were, you know, all new features were coming to all mm-hmm. old cameras and mm-hmm. they just stopped doing it because of resources for, you know, development. Uh, but then, you know, so I'm expecting, you know, okay, they're coming out with, you know, new cameras this year. Maybe we're going to get a new film simulation. And we didn't. Like, there, it's the the stuff that's on the, you know, the XT4 is what's on the XH2S and the XH2 and the XT5. So, I guess, you know, the nice thing with XT5 is you get, you get all the same film simulations that, that they've been talking about there was like 13 or 16 of them i mean how many how many more films are there right i don't know we've got, to, we've got to be hitting the limit on films maybe i think i think fuji should do like a collaboration with kodak and come out with like an eastman uh oh, type stock cool. they would be pretty it would be pretty slick yeah they could have it compete with Eterna or whatever that would be interesting i i could see i could see kodak coming in and doing 
doing a camera or something. I'm surprised that they haven't kind of gone the Fuji route and like made, you know, some sort of, hey, here's a fixed lens camera that shoots like Kodak film stock, but not actual film. We should research that more at some point. I know they kind of missed the boat on digital and it's one of the examples people use of companies that did not accurately predict what was going to happen and evolve to match it, you know, and they, they, it seems like they've just gotten left behind. It would be interesting if they either made a camera or if they partnered with Fuji. There's still, there's still a lot of film stuff happening when in the cinema scape where people are, filmmakers are coming back with, you know, I want to shoot, I want to shoot and film again. I yeah. want to get that dynamic range, that film look, that light roll off or whatever. And for the, euphoria that the second season of that tv show they shot that all in film wow and they like the first season they didn't but they really wanted to do it for the second season and so kodak came back and reprinted started started redeveloping this film stock that's been out of development for five or six years and so they they, you know came back with it because there was such a demand you know from this show and from other shows to, to have that again so they're they're having to you know find the formulas and find the chemicals that haven't been used for a while to Hmm. start making film stocks that people kind of remember out of just nostalgia. And so maybe like there's films just not going to go away. Yeah. And like people are always going to be looking for that look. I mean, clearly what these cameras need, what these companies need to do is start doing microtransactions and they, they can make it feel even more like a film camera because you get this film simulation, but you also have to buy like quote unquote rolls of film. Oh my gosh. And you know, and you've got to, you got to do like a microtransaction on your camera when, you know, shoot another hundred pictures. I mean, Oh, uh, you're, pay- you're paying, you're paying whatever, like a half a cent per yeah, picture. Yeah. It's, oh, it's coming, man. They'll, they'll put that camera on the blockchain and that's, that's going to be it. <laughs> that's, that's it. Kodak's yep. coming out. They're going to put the camera on the blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be a whole they're new thing. They're coming back, man. Yep. It's, that's their stock is about to go through the roof. It's coming. You just wait. Now. You just wait. I was, I, whenever I was, that's not necessarily researching. I just, I like all this stuff, but I was learning about some of the film stocks and, you know, the, the thing with Euphoria and like the, them shooting it on film and that being interesting and whatever. And it wasn't Eastman that they used. It was, uh, and it wasn't Porta. It was Vision 3 500T. Never heard of that. Yeah. So anyway, oh no, sorry, it was Ektachrome. That's what it was. Duh. How could I not remember Ektachrome? I'm such a monster. But what I found, what I didn't realize, and what I found interesting, like I always think of film as you know, it has a huge dynamic range potential compared to digital, and like that switch from film in the '90s to digital in the in the thousands, everything got darker because the way that you can handle light roll off and high end exposure and development is is not as good or wasn't as good on those, you know, first digital sensors. And so I'm like, oh yeah, you know, the high end and dynamic range on film is there's always going to be, maybe not always going to be better because the new area likes to say, blah, 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 blah. But what I learned is the ectochrome that they use, I mean, it's just ectochrome in general, but like they use to shoot this TV show, but then also ectochrome is like four stops of dynamic range. Oh, wow. Yeah. That kind of blew my mind because I'm expecting film to be like 16 stops and you can, or, you know, maybe like 14 and then you can push it an extra uh-huh. two, one way or the other. Whenever so you how do they, sh- how do they shoot? They, you just have to shoot in really controlled lighting huh. and you just have these like harsh shadows and harsh highlights and everything's really compressed together as far as dynamic range. And like, you just can't have really bright, bright, bright lights and you can't have really dark shadows, mm. but because you're constraining yourself to four stops at a dynamic range, it makes everything very not flat but like it's just kind of all within this like hard window that's part of the reason of like why you get this certain look is because you've mm-hmm. put yourselves into this this certain constraint yeah and so i thought that was i thought that was really interesting i didn't yeah. realize that ectochrome was so constrained on the dynamic that range. is interesting and it's interesting that they would choose to shoot on that yeah well i mean like you get that that certain look and the other thing that they i mean we're not even supposed to be talking about film right now daniel we're supposed to be talking about the xt5 here we are oh geez whenever they like usually you would you do like a color negative of the film and then like you process it in a certain way to then you know then you have a positive image for this specific use they did they did a color positive of it and which causes like certain of like the golds and the and the greens and the colors to come out and then they have to like grade those out 
of the image in order to like white balance it right. And because of that, you get these like really interesting, like warm tones. And hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of really cool. Bunch of hipster film people. Sounds like. <laughs> Sorry. I like all this stuff <laughs> and I can't ever remember half of it. And so I'm just saying buzzwords and there's just so much chemistry involved in film <laughs> and I hate chemistry. Well, I'm glad somebody's keeping Kodak in business. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's cool to see that like Kodak's film stocks and, you know, movie budgets and all that stuff is really is keeping their film lines going. But it would be cool maybe if they pushed into the digital camera market. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess it's a whole nother skill set and a whole separate thing. But yeah, I mean, they right now they probably don't have the engineering expertise to do that. It actually would make a lot of sense for them to partner with somebody like Fuji and, and license a film simulation to them or something like that. Yeah, it would be cool to see that happen. A lot of old film stocks and looks and that sort of thing from Kodak are iconic. A lot of their their portrait porta, whatever, you know, film stocks and Eastman and Ektachrome, like it's all really well regarded. And yeah. it would be cool to be able to have that in some other form beyond just just the roles of film because like i don't want to have to go out and buy you know a bunch of 16 millimeter film yeah there's there's people crazy expensive there's people that do that but that's most people are not going to do that now like if i was gonna shoot a movie or something i would i would consider it definitely not gonna take that on on vacation and (laughs) no i'm not gonna start taking all my product photos on film like ridiculous yeah well film i guess film does still have its place basically yeah. And it would be cool to see Kodak kind of push push more on on that nostalgia and maybe release you know products that are digital in fashion, but you kind of do what Fuji's doing. Yeah. They maybe there's not room for it. Fuji isn't like the lead of the market or anything. No, certainly not. It's still one of the big selling points. I mean, everyone else is shooting like standard profile, flat, whatever. And I think that the Fuji film simulations are more than just like I'm shooting in monochrome. Or I'm shooting in standard, or I'm shooting in uh, vivid. Yeah, I agree. Like they they're doing more to try to make certain colors pop and certain colors be favored. Like stuff like nostalgic neg is really good if you have a lot of oranges and reds mm-hmm. because it favors those and you have more you know texture and range within those yeah. colors and it's kind of isolating out your greens and it's more of a look rather than just just a you know this is color this is bright color yeah it gives the camera a lot more character yeah it does but then like if you're just trying to shoot something that's you know i just want to shoot this in normal there isn't really a normal you're trying to shoot in provia but Mm -hmm. it's i don't know i guess that's not who fuji cameras are for yeah yeah i suppose not oh well i think i I think i think i've been enough tangenty today (laughs) that maybe we should call it a wrap i think so too Cool. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed it, we'd encourage you to rate us on iTunes and tell your photography friends about the show. Also, check out our website at cameragearpodcast.com to learn more or send us feedback and questions. We'll be back with more next week.